Leonard Ravenhill said, The church has many organizers, but few agonizers. Many who are willing to pay, but few who are willing to pray. Many who are enterprising, but few who are interceding. Never have so many left so much to so few. He was wrestling with the fact that when we call the church to pray, when we challenge people to pray, it's usually when the fewest involvement comes when it comes to the idea of having vibrant, active prayer lives. Owen Carr said, a day without prayer is a boast against God. He was saying, listen, you go without praying, what you're saying is, God, I've got it all together and I don't need you, is what his main point was. Martin Luther said, the less I pray, the harder it gets, the more I pray, the better it goes. I'm sure you have felt that before I have in my life. How's your prayer life been lately? If you were to kind of rank your own prayer life, you say, oh, I've been spending lots of good, intimate, quality time in prayer, or Man, that's kind of a thought that's in my mind, but it's coming way out there. Sometimes maybe somewhere in between. I'll be honest with you, sometimes even as a preacher, I struggle in this area. I have my seasons where it's going really well, and I have my seasons where it's not going so well. And it's, it's sometimes like a roller coaster ride. It's up, it's down, it's, it stops, it starts. And I think it's good that we stop and we go, okay, how are we doing in this area? Because a church that is, uh, is not a praying church is a church that is without power. And it takes people who are going to be praying people. We are in this season of dreaming about the future of Centerpoint. And, and what does it look like as we turn 15 years old this fall? What does the future look like? Two Sundays ago, the week before Easter, we had our Dreams Unlimited event. We had about 100 people in this room right here sitting around tables brainstorming together and dreaming about what could we do? How can we affect some, some areas in our community? Specifically, how can we affect poverty in our community? How can we affect health issues, addiction issues that are going on in our city? How can we affect family issues that are taking place in our city? And we just spent time praying and dreaming, and we have pages upon pages of ideas, and now we're trying to say, God, now all these pages of ideas, what do you want us to do? Well, it's going to take a lot of prayer. It's going to take us listening to him to figure out what's next. How do we design our ministry plan as we move into the summer so that this fall we can come forward and say to the church, here's where we're going to go. Here's some, a, a few major big objectives we're going to tackle over the next two to three, maybe even four years. And so if we're going to do that and follow his steps, we have to learn how to pray like Jesus prayed. We just walked through seven priorities or six priorities of Jesus, and I left one here for us, and it's prayer. The priority of prayer. When we look at the life of Jesus, we're going to see that Jesus was a man of prayer. And the important thing with this is I'm not doing this just in one Sunday because it's so important for us to grow in this area. We're going to take five weeks, today and the next four weeks, just looking at Jesus and looking at the prayer life of Jesus and then saying, okay, what can we learn from Jesus and then incorporate that in our own lives and incorporate that into the church because if we're going to live out his priorities and his passions and, and his purposes, if we're going to live that way, then by all means we must be guided by prayer. And so we've saved this one, and we're going to dive in deep on it because there's so much we need to learn. I talked earlier in January that we wanted to elevate prayer in this church. We want to get that priority up where it needs to be. And so church, I want to encourage you, make it a priority. So you know what? I'm not going to miss. 
I'm going to be in worship. I'm going to dive in, and then I'm going to try to apply. And all of us, if all of us take a step in our prayer life, this church will get so much stronger and so much better as we try to do what God calls us to do in our community. You see, prayer was central to every aspect of Christ's life and his ministry. In the New Testament, there's at least, as far as I can find, 30, if not more, instances in which we see prayer taught and modeled by Jesus Christ. And you stop and you go, wait a minute. Jesus is God. Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God are all one. Why would Jesus need to do that? Because Jesus, when he was on earth, was operating as a man in full flesh. And so he had to have his marching orders come from his Father God. And so he would stop. And even Jesus, the one who was sinless, the one who went to the cross and died for us, he even stopped to pray. And I can see at least 30 just in the New Testament. Prayer was such a significant part of the life of Christ that only time you see his disciples say, teach us, is when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. No other time can you see an interaction in the Gospels or in the New Testament where the disciples said, teach us something else. The disciples, now, we know from study and from the book of Acts, they were kind of slow learners. They were unschooled, ordinary men. They weren't the sharpest of the sharpest guys. They, they weren't the ones getting the 4.0. They weren't going on and getting full degrees into, into Bible college or into any kind of college at all. They were the ones who were just out doing fishing and out doing carpentry work, and they weren't known to be the smartest guys. But they never said, teach us to do miracles. Never said that. They, they never said, Lord, teach us how to heal the sick. They, they never said, Lord, teach us how to raise the dead or teach us how to teach like you teach. They never asked those kind of questions. See, they recognized that Christ's life and his power came from his prayer life. They saw that source of power and they said, teach us to pray. When's the last time we've asked that question? Have you asked the Lord that lately? Lord, teach me how to pray. Lord, draw me into prayer. Lord, strengthen my prayer life. The early church recognized this dynamic as well, and they made it one of their four central priorities. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to what? Prayer. Devoted. They were committed to it. They were sold out to it. It was a top priority of the early church as they look at the life of Christ. They go, this is what Jesus did, and so we're going to make sure we do that because we want the church to be upon the Lord's power and guided by the Lord. For Jesus, prayer was everything. And so I want us to see over these next few weeks how Jesus begins his ministry and prayer, how he gets away in prayer, and it was a daily routine where he got away, how he consulted with God to consider life decisions, how he walks with God through life struggles, and how he discusses with God his concerns for loved ones. And we look at Jesus and say, Jesus did that? I can do that. Today I want us to begin with just looking at how Jesus begins his ministry in prayer. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. Turn to Luke chapter 3. And at the very beginning of ministry, Jesus begins with prayer. He connects with God. Let me give you a little background. In Luke 3, we see John the Baptist. He's the cousin of Jesus. He was preaching a baptism of repentance. He was telling people, now you need to repent. And they would repent of what? Well, repent of your sin. Repent of your, your misbehavior. Repent of things that are not of God. He was telling people, you repent and you turn from your evil ways. And John was preaching his baptism. And he lets them know, though, that there is one that is coming that is greater. 
And he said, he's going to preach a baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm just preaching a baptism of repentance. And people, in a, in a signifying of repentance, were being baptized. And as he's talking about one that's going to come greater, he's talking about his cousin, Jesus. He knows Jesus is coming. And Jesus is going to bring a, a, bring a stronger message, this baptism of the Holy Spirit. We pick this up in verse 21, then in chapter 3, where it says, when all the people were being baptized, what were you being baptized for? Repentance. Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Notice the sequence of events. Just prior to this, Jesus is in Nazareth, and he leaves Nazareth, and he goes and he finds John the Baptist. Now, I wish the text gave us some more info of what was going on, but I would imagine that maybe Jesus is a little bit unsure of my next steps. He goes to John the Baptist. They have some conversation. What am I supposed to do? And Jesus realizes I'm supposed to be baptized. And so he says to John the Baptist, John the Baptist, you need to baptize me, and all these other people are getting baptized. He meets John. He determines, that's my next step. And so Jesus then submits to this baptism that John the Baptist is leading in. Let me pause and ask for a minute and us just discuss, what is baptism? Why, why is that important when it comes to this idea of prayer? John said to the people that he was daily baptizing, he said, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And when you read through the New Testament, there's some different forms of baptism. In this verse alone, it mentions water baptism, Holy Spirit baptism, and fire baptism. It's important for us to understand what baptism meant in Bible times, especially in Jesus' time. See, baptism was about identifying with a messenger and with that messenger's message. That you say, I believe in that messenger and I believe in their message. So when people came out to John the Baptist and they're along the river and they're hearing him share his message of repentance and people said, I'm going to get baptized, what they were saying is, I believe John is a prophet and a messenger that's sent from God, and I further believe the words that he's speaking and his message of a Messiah that is coming that is true. And so they were identifying themselves with John the Baptist and saying, John, we identify with you. We agree with you. We're following in your footsteps. So when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, he was saying, I believe John was sent from God, and I believe the message he's preaching. And he's saying, I believe that John is part of the big story. And so we see Jesus agreeing with that, and you see baptism is about identification. It's about knowing your identity, identifying with Jesus and his message and his movement. And so after being baptized, Jesus then says, begins to pray. Did you catch that little detail in the story? Verse 21, Jesus begins his ministry talking to the Father. He goes down in the water. The word used there is baptizo. goes down in the water. The word baptizo means to dip, to plunge, or to immerse. He baptized himself to identify himself with the message of repentance, with the message of salvation, with the message of, of what God is sending him to do. And he's now bringing in that next power of the Holy Spirit and saying, I'm bringing this message of salvation. And then he comes up out of the water. And verse 21 says, while he was praying. It's so easy to go right on past that and say, yeah, the Lord was so happy with him that then he did this and this and this, and he said that I'm so happy with my son, but there's prayer going on before all that happens. So it says, while he was praying, I wonder what he said to his dad. I wonder, okay, Jesus, you're starting your ministry. 
You've done what I told you, did. You went down and followed John's baptism. You got baptized. Now you come out and pray. I wonder what he's asking. Is he, does he come out of the water and say, all right, Dad, Father, what's next? I'm trying to hear from you. I want to go where you want me to go. I want you to do what, I, what, what you want me to do. I'm going to follow in your steps. What's next? I can hear him say, all right, here I am, Dad. Send me. Send me, Father. I'm ready to go. I, I know the Old Testament prophets. I know they were looking for something to be sent. I'm here. I'm raising my hand, Dad. I'm ready to go. We don't know for sure what the conversation was and what they were talking about. But we do know the Father responds. Scripture says the heavens are open. The Spirit of God descends like a dove and rests on Jesus. And God says, you are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Conversation. There's prayer going on and God responds and says, you are my son. I am so pleased with your actions. I'm so pleased with what you're doing. I'm so pleased with you. Wow. Could you imagine hearing that in your life? Wouldn't it be great just to hear God speak to you and say, I am so pleased with you. I am so happy with your steps of life. I'm so happy with how you're leading life. What did it feel like for Jesus to hear his father say those words? Well done. Well done. I am so pleased. I love you. I love you so much. Those are the words I think we all long to hear. We all long to hear our Heavenly Father loves us. Our Heavenly Father calls us sons and daughters to tell us He loves us and hear that He is pleased with us. The, pleased with us. the words the Father speaks here are words of identity. Words of identity. I'm your Father. You're my son. I love you. I'm pleased with you. How many of us in this room love it when we're growing up and our mom or dad would look at us and say, I'm so happy with you. I'm pleased with you. I love you. Those are words that motivate us and they motivate our children today. When you look at your own children, you tell them, I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm excited for you. You're doing great things. It motivates them. And you're identifying, I'm your parent. You're breathing encouragement into them. And it, it breathes life into them. The first roadblock to our prayer life is that we don't understand our identity in Christ. I think many times we struggle in our prayer life to begin with God because we truly don't understand who we are in Christ. We say, oh, I believe in Jesus, and I accept him as my Savior. But do you know what that means? See, many are stuck when it comes to prayer because we have identity confusion. The world is telling us this. Dad has said this. Mom has said that. My teachers have said this. The television is saying that. And the Bible is saying this. And how do I put it all together? Who am I? It gets kind of confusing. What's my identity? See, the moment you put your faith in Jesus as your Messiah, at that moment, your salvation, you're giving a new identity. Galatians chapter 3 says, So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. You hear that? Your identity, if you are in Christ, you are a child of God. You're part of the greatest family ever to exist. For all of you who are baptized in Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. So when we enter into that, that relationship of faith through and, and into baptism, we're then clothed with Christ. It's like we put Jesus on, and when God looks down, he no longer looks down and sees Brian, who's a sinner, or sees Jennifer, who's a sinner, or sees Sam, who's a sinner. He looks down and says, I see my child because you're wearing the robe of Christ. You're part of the family. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. That's our identity. When you put your faith into Jesus Christ, the old life is gone, folks. 
We never go back to it anymore. The old life has disappeared, and God says, listen, you have a new life. You have a new identity. You have a new family that you're part of. I talk about your identity in Christ. It's such a deep well. It's such a deep well to understand who am I in Christ. We, we must dig into the Word of God and grasp who we are in Christ. In your growth guide this week, on your, in your bulletin, you receive the growth guide. It looks like this. In your growth guide, I want to encourage you, church, to use this guide this week. It is so important you use this guide and you open up and there are several scriptures that I've listed out here for you for you to dive in and say, Lord, what do these scriptures mean for my identity? Now, this can be a personal guide that you use in your own personal time with God as you're having some prayer. I want to understand it. And then you take this guide with you to your, to your growth group, and you say, let's understand this, I think, about our identity in Christ right from Scripture. It's so important that we understand who we are because many times the roadblock is, I don't know who I am in Christ. I don't understand identity. I have identity confusion, and so we need to clear that up. If you want to open up the, the, the realms of your prayer life, well, then it has to be starting with, I begin with God and who I am in God. We know who we are. And then when we know who we are, the doors of our prayer life will just swing wide open. I, I want to dive in just quickly. I want to tell you a little bit about who you are in Christ. I, I want you to walk out of here today going, that's who I am? Man, that is just awesome. I want you to walk out of here going, God cares about me that much? Man, I need to be spending time with him. I got to talk with him. I got to spend time with my dad says, you are loved by God. Church, you need to understand that. You are loved by God no matter where you're at in your walk with God today. Whether you're on fire for God, whether you're stagnant with God, whether you're far away from God, God still loves you right where you are today. The old saying says, uh, God never moves, it's us. You may have drifted, you may be wandering, you may be unsure, you may be struggling in some sin, you may be struggling in some doubt, you may be struggling in, in different kinds of areas. You need to walk out of here today knowing, if I am in Christ, I'm loved by God. And if I'm not in Christ, I'm still loved by God, and He's just waiting for me to enter into His family. 1 John 3 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That is what we are. We're in the perfect family. I understand the thought of being a child of God sometimes can be hard for some of us because maybe the parental direction in your life growing up wasn't the greatest. If you ever dreamed of having a perfect family, this is the perfect family. It's children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. I was reading in my devotion this week about prayer and tying back to Easter last week, and it was a very interesting kind of a new enlightenment for me that when Jesus was on the cross, was the first time that Jesus said a prayer and did not address God as Father. Up until that point, he always called him Father or called him Dad or called him Abba. And then he's on a cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he changes the terminology. Instead of calling him dad or father or Abba, changed him to call him God. And the premise of the devotion was he did that because then as he dies on a cross and, and his sacrifice is done and he rises again, he's passing on that kinship or that familyship to you and me so that we can call him father. And so when we stop and pray, we don't have to say, oh God, we can say dad. 
We can say Papa. We can say Father. And that's how intimate the relationship can be with God when you understand that you are in Christ. You are loved by God. You are a child of God. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, you have given the right to become children of God. That means in this room, we are all family. Like it or not. That means in this room, we are all brothers and sisters. That means those who have come before us, they're our brothers and sisters, and those who are going to come after us in Christ, they're our brothers and sisters. But here's the cool thing. Jesus is our brother because we have the same daddy. We have the same father. And so we are in a great family because we're a child of God. That's part of our identity. And you know what moms and dads want? They just want to hear from their kids. They want you to call. They want you to pick up the phone and give a call. They want you to stop and spend a little bit of time. As my children get a little bit older and we're seeing them less, Brian and I are treasuring the moments. We're going, okay, they're staying home tonight. Oh, we get a chance to play a few card games. Or we're going to watch a movie together. My mom loves it when I call. She wants to hear my voice. The key to that, side note, call your mom and dad. Call, not text. Don't text. Pick up the phone and call. They want to hear your voice. You know what? Your father, God, wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear you say, Dad, I'm here. Dad, let's talk. Dad, this is going on. Because we're part of a family. And as part of a family unit, you communicate with one another. And lastly, I want you to understand this today. Your faith pleases God. When you put faith into God, he's very pleased with that. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And without faith it is what? It is impossible to please God. So just the opposite of it is when you have faith, then God's excited about that. God's happy about that. God's pleased about that. See, when you believe by faith that Jesus died for your sins, God is pleased with you, and he says, you're my child who I love, and I am pleased with you. You know, it's not a wish. It's not a hope. We don't have to say, oh, I would love to hear God say those words. I would love to hear God say, this is my son or this is my daughter with whom I am well pleased. You don't have to wish for that. You put your faith in Jesus, and he says that. He says, I am so pleased with you. I am so pleased with the action steps you have taken to put your faith and your trust in me. How do I identify with Christ? I put my faith in him, and then Scripture says, I follow that in baptism to be clothed with Christ." Maybe today that needs to be a step you take. See, when you're baptized, just as Jesus was following John the Baptist and saying, I believe in the message, when you're baptized, you're saying, I'm repenting of my sin. When you're baptized, you're saying, my faith is in Jesus. When you're baptized, you're saying, I'm embracing my new life. I'm embracing my new identity. When you're baptized, you're saying, I'm accepting this free gift of salvation. When you're baptized, you're saying, I'm part of the family, God's family. Maybe today that needs to be a decision you make. Say, you know what, I want my prayers to be on fire. I want to get rid of the roadblock. Well, then identify with Christ today. Put your faith in Christ today. We're going to sing here in just a moment. We're going to receive communion, and our communion reminds us that we're part of this great family. And at the back of the room, there's a cross. There's a few people will be back there ready to pray with you. Maybe you just need to pray about some stuff going on in life. You're like, man, my identity in Christ has been struggling. I need to pray about that. Maybe it is. You know what, I need to identify with Christ today. I need, to, I need to go public with that, and I need to be baptized. I need to receive Christ. We'd love to help you in that. We're ready and prepared to do that. 
If we're going to have prayer lives that are vibrant and effective, it begins with our identity of who we are in God. 